0: Hi there, thanks for being here. I'm Greg, a leadership and career coach. In this podcast, you will hear the stories of people who found fulfillment and joy in their careers. You will learn how they identify their vocation and you will hear the courageous changes they made in their lives to pursue their passion and purpose. I'm on a mission to help people start on their own path to meaningful success. It's a journey I embarked on myself after 15 years in a career that had all external markers of success but had lost purpose and joy. If you're looking for direction, check our Find Direction course on www.derby.me. Derby yourself, my friends. My guest today is Gareth Fryer. He's the co CEO and co founder of Fika, the up and coming mental fitness app and startup. Uh, Fika, by the way, spelled F I K A. Gareth is on a mission to prevent rather than treat mental health issues by helping people build literacy on mental health. Gareth has had his own struggles with burnout and and cancer twice and openly shares about them. And because of this, he knows the importance of having a strong emotional and mental fitness. Before co-founding TCAF four years ago, he's been a partner in a global software development company and a service design consultancy. Gareth, it's a real pleasure to have you. What I'd like to start with is with you describing what Fika does today with your own words.
1: Sure. Fika is a mental fitness platform. So what we do is help people build skills that enable them to maintain their own mental fitness. So rather than focusing on treatment of symptoms, we are about essential life skills that everyone can learn. To help them deal with life, to be honest, because life happens to all of us. We work on our everyday physical fitness to help us feel like we can, you know, take on life and and feel and act our best. We think and believe, and there's lots of science that backs us up. That is a, a gap that it's not filled when it comes to our mental fitness. And that's what we set out to do. Cool. And, and what led you to, to co-found Fika? Myself and Nick, so the two co-founders, we, we've known each other for going on for 14 years. We started out in agency life together we both said if we were going to start a business it would be with each other uh, and we went off into our independent careers did, did different things and as I mentioned before life happened to both of us in in different ways the inevitable challenges of life happened to me through my career and struggling with you know anxiety and you know feel from making myself feel all the time like why are you stressed why are you anxious you're under so much pressure but just don't be stressed just don't be anxious and taking on more and more as we built the company and getting to the point where I just had to walk away from it all. To be honest, I didn't recognize it as burnout at the time. I just knew I was done and I had to leave and, and do something else. And Nick's best friend, Ben died by suicide as well. Both of us have our own personal journeys and in the mental health space. And you mentioned my cancer diagnosis as well, That my first one happened whilst I was at university and my second one, actually, since we started Fika, that has solidified my passion for what we do, but was a reason for, for founding it. Yeah. It's really, really simple. Really both of us just wanted to put our skills towards something more meaningful as, you know, as strategic people, we like to look at the problem behind the problem rather than focusing on the problem itself. And that's what really the Seeker journey has been about. You, you struggled
0: with stress, anxiety, ultimately leading to burnout. How long ago was this?
1: Going on for, well, when do we found Fika? Four years ago, so probably four and a half, five years ago was when I left my previous role. Uh, Again, all all amicable and all positive, but just for me personally, I was just at a point where I felt like I just didn't want to do that anymore. Irrespective of the the financial benefit or the great things we were doing as a team, it just got to a point for me where my own state of my mental well-being was something that I never really paid attention to. As a typical mm. bloke, I'd always just been, oh, "I'm fine." Feeling anxious and stressed was the problem of not being able to understand how to classify those emotions and not having the right toolkit to manage them, and, and being a bit illiterate in the minor own understanding of mental fitness. To be honest, that led me to need to leave and seek different avenues and do something yeah, more mm-hmm. meaningful.
0: So, when when I hear your story, and you go from being very successful in your consultancy to being confronted with real issues with stress anxiety ultimately leading to burnout and and then to co-founding fika sounds like a big step can you try maybe and and break down into smaller parts how you came to that conclusion
1: I, i um Inherently competitive as a person, I'm an only child. So the worst thing is I've only ever competed with myself, which is horrendous because you can't win. And so I've always felt this burning desire that I wanted to do something for myself, but I lacked the confidence, but I then found myself always frustrated. I felt like quite naively, like I just needed to be my own boss because I felt like I just, that was what I wanted to do for myself now with some reflection and hindsight and actually my ability to manage my emotions better actually the thing that i have always wanted isn't to be my own boss it's about being in control of the problems i like having that ultimate accountability and responsibility for the problems because then i can decide how we treat those problems or pass on those problems or, or not so it's, it's actually not about the glory and the success and all of those things actually the stress comes from how you take those challenges and then are able to either prioritize them or flip them into opportunities or whatever. And for me, this obviously sounds really easy to say now, but that's been a long period of reflection to to recognize that. But the simple thing was I didn't leave knowing what I was going to do. I left because I've always backed myself in any situation that if something comes up, I'll make the best of it. And I left, didn't know what I wanted to do and decided I would see what opportunities came my way. And Fika presented itself as an opportunity between Nick and I. It ticked lots of boxes, something that I'm really passionate about. And the the rest is history. It's quite interesting in terms of how I motivated myself to leave. So at the time I just got married, and obviously my wife and I were talking about starting a family, et cetera, but I knew I wanted to leave. So we actually said, let's not start a family yet. Cause that was me about unlocking my own motivation that I knew that if we then did decide to start a family it would make leaving so much harder because the idea of walking away from the income and the salary all of the safety that comes from that I probably wouldn't have done it if that had been something no. that we were doing at the time the planning to get there had been something that I was always going to do it was just a figure of when I did
0: it you said the FICA presented itself as an opportunity so how did it present itself?
1: If you look at who really owns ideas and where ideas come from, I co-founded Fika with Nick. Fika is a concept was something that Nick had been thinking about for some time. And we talked about it as friends. And that became something that we decided to found together. Anyone who's worked in innovation and product creation, you can have all the ideas in the world. The, I- the ideas aren't the thing that make it, it work because actually the idea you think is the right answer usually isn't the right answer anyway it's the how you approach the, the learning and the innovation so fika presented itself through conversations as something that was a side hustle that we then decided we could actually make the full-time hustle and we decided that we were going to put our chips down and do that as the thing that we both really cared about as opposed to anything else that we could have done yep. you know consultancy work, etc., etc.
0: Oh, got it. So you were discussing between the two of you, different things you could do together and figure and out was one idea that Nick brought in and, and how, so it was a side hustle. So I, not often, but almost regularly hear this as something that ultimately becomes the thing. Can you just talk a little more at what type of side hustle that was and how that did you then make the decision to
1: make it a full-time job? When Nick's best friend Ben died by suicide. That was a real driving force for Nick to start thinking about this space. I'd always been passionate about this space, but I didn't have that trigger at that time because it was was a couple of years before. So Nick had been thinking about ideas, approaches, things that could happen. And when we both then decided to leave and ended up available, what we actually did first was we set up a design consultancy business. So the two of us set up a design consultancy. We had clients, we had friends, we had contacts and actually in six months that was going really well. We. We'd got some contracts, we were doing some work, but Nick had this thing on the side that was the the real passion. We talked about it a lot. It was something that I was really passionate about doing as well because it's a meaningful goal. And so as a result, what we decided to do was slowly wind down the consultancy business. I kept working in the consultancy business for some of our clients to enter the end of those contracts, whilst putting that money from that into Fika to help us get Fika off the ground to help us create um, our investment case to get our first seed funding. So what we did was created a new business, but very quickly decided that we were just doing the same thing that we'd both always done. And that wasn't the thing that we wanted to do, even though it was going well, and then decided to wind that down, but use the proceeds from it to invest it into bringing Fika up to the same level so that we could kick on and raise seed and the rest is history.
0: On the one hand, you had the consultancy you were leading together with Nick. That you didn't really want to do this anymore, but the end the Fika idea was very meaningful to you. I'm sure it sounds easy as you say it, but it's the consultancy. That's what you had been doing for years. You had done it with Nick. You were successful at it, and then suddenly you start winding it down. Okay, and, and essentially investing all of the hard earned money into something that you had never done before. That was meaningful to you, but you had never done before. Can you? you know, can we zoom in into this and? You tell about the, the decision of doing this?
1: Yeah, but then I think we say you've never done it before, but then it's about drawing relatable experiences from things that we do in careers all the time. Have I taken on big projects before that I didn't know where they were going to go? Yes. Have I led teams before? Yes. Have we had to pitch before to get money? Of course, massive part of consultancy. So in reality, and also because we both worked in technology and I worked in service design consultancy, We were both very familiar with digital products. We're familiar with creating digital products. Nick's background is prior, after he he left the agency, he went into startup world as chief product officer. So between the two of us, we'd actually, if you look at the things that you need to get a startup off the ground, we'd done most of the things. We understand design thinking, understand products. The only thing we'd never done was run a business that was ours, but it's one of those things where I'm back. I back myself that a lot of that stuff ultimately is just admin. So it's actually, it sounds weird. It's definitely not something that was taken lightly, but it didn't feel like a difficult step. That is not to say it hasn't been without challenge and it hasn't been stressful and, and going into the unknown hasn't been difficult. And every founder will tell you that when people say to you, What do you keep, what keeps you up at night? Pretty much anything that keeps you up at night is fear of running out of money. That's about the only thing that. That really, you know, keeps you up at night. But other than that, it, it's been nothing other than just an exciting journey. And I think driven by, this is maybe the wrong way to, to phrase it, but also if we all being mature enough, this isn't our first thing. You know, we've both been around and done jobs before. That fear of what if it doesn't work? There's a great quote. I can't remember who said it. Fear is a waste of the perfectly good imagination. And you, you could put the fear on what if it doesn't work. The reality is I'd back myself. If it didn't work, I'd do something else. So mostly you train your mind to not focus on that output and put your energies instead into how we're going to make it work. It sounds like it's been quite a natural decision to to make, but you
0: did say it, you didn't take it lightly. Can you just share for our listeners any framework or, or things considered when you make the decision?
1: I don't know if you're familiar with the Japanese concept of Ikigai. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, when I was deciding what it was that I wanted to do next, there was obviously the driving thing of, I want to do something that we get well remunerated for because I have a family and I want to provide for the family like everyone does. But and then it wasn't ticking me or the boxes of the ify guy around the, doing something that the world needs, etc. And actually, to be honest, the problem is it's probably not going to tick the financial one for a long time. And that's going to be difficult for myself, for the family. But do I believe that the long term investment will kick it? We'd sold the company I was in previously. I, I had made some money out of that, but I walked away from the remainder of the earnout. But my discussion with my wife and with my friends was that modest amount of money I could put into savings and ISAs or whatever, or I could invest that money in paying my salary for 18 months. So, as an investment in a future where I, myself to turn that money into something more meaningful and more valuable. So it's a bit of an easy thing to say, but I didn't have the risk associated with necessarily with the financial side of it, because I had a bit of a cushion to give me that confidence to to take that leap, which is always a massive motivator for people. So we shouldn't take that lightly, but it was a very conscious decision. That was an investment. So that money that had been made from lots of years of effort before was invested in paying ourselves to get this off the ground. That's what I mean by a decision not taken lightly, because you can look at years of effort to get some money through business sale to then turn it around and put it straight back into doing something else. You,
0: you mentioned earlier, you're somebody who struggled with stress and, and anxiety. Having an 18 month pot of cash, it all sounds great, but it can still seem very stressful for some people to think how do you manage that
1: yeah i've never been a person that really worries about money because i've always i've just the way i've always framed that is tend that worry into i will back myself to fight to, to find more to earn to find a, a route to help the family that's not the same as from a business perspective because obviously we worry about business specific finances all the time that's completely normal so no. i don't want that to sound arrogant in any way it isn't it's just the fear of not having it is not helpful emotion and so i'd motivate myself more in that actually I, I could be terrified of that but actually my anxieties typically have always been around the fact that you know i'm a strategist my job is literally thinking about what could happen what might happen what could go wrong what if it multiple spinning plates how do they all connect so i always felt really anxious because i always saw all of the things that could be done and all of the things that could happen what i now know and what i've learned is that anxiety is nothing bad that anxiety, it was I was manifesting it badly. But anxiety is part of your limbic nervous system. It's how you think about consequences and plan for the future. So actually, I've recognized that that perceived weakness has a direct line to what actually is one of my biggest strengths. I'm no more or less anxious. The, the framing of it, the volume of it is completely turned down because it doesn't It isn't a negative emotion for me anymore. It's an acceptance of an emotion that I've flipped into a positive because it is a key driver that helps me do what I do. But that's the journey that the Fika journey that I've been on. And it sounds again, easy to say now, but it's been five years from the point of leaving to now to really go on that emotional journey to learn these things for myself. Really interesting how you
0: managed to flip the anxiety in terms of quality. And impact on you. That's great. great. You said earlier, you stepped out of a business where you were a partner because it was just too much and it was a burnout that you would not have recognized then how did you take that decision to step out? Can you, can you just share a little more about this? Because that's stressful as, as well as just step out and, and you missed on an earn out you, you mentioned earlier.
1: I left partway through that, which was a big thing. I was the only person that left partway through that. I'm not going to say that was planned. It wasn't. The intention was always to try to stay through the earnout, out, see where it went. There were lots of opportunities there. None of this is a reflection on the organization. It was more a reflection on me and my own management of myself, which I now met. And it, it wasn't a conscious decision of like, now's the right time. It was, it's gotta be now. It was, a, it just reached a point with workload and things happening and how I felt and what was going on in life. And. It was just one day where I just went home and said to my wife, I'm not doing this anymore. And I resigned the next day. There's a series of things that happened. It's easy to say the straw that broke the camel's back. It was just one of those times where there was just a collection of things that happened over a period of time that got to a point where I just made the decision that I was unhappy. I was unhappy in my own mind more so than anything else. And whilst I could have carried on being fine, in inverted commas, and doing well, I wasn't feeling well. I was just tired. and. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And there is no great strategy or plan. I'd always wanted to do something different and do something for myself, but I'd never felt brave enough to take the lead. And then one day it was just time. And I, I just decided that that was time.
0: You said you always knew you wanted to do something for yourself. You wanted to be in charge of the problems to solve. How did you know that? I'm trying to help people clarify what they want and what you said here is really important. It sounds like a real strong driving force for where you are now. It sounds like it took a while for you to get to the point and, and maybe even and reach a crisis to actually make the step to do what you want.
1: Yeah, and I think it's one of those ones where how it sounds now is with the hindsight of of reflection, understanding what the drivers actually were versus what I thought the drivers were at the time. I, I wanted to feel like I, I was in control. I wanted to be in control of the surroundings that we were in the, as a strategist, it's about controlling the controllables, planning for them. So anything that therefore was outside of my control, I had a real problem with. The left field things, because I, I just didn't have that frame of reference of what, how to manage that anxiety mechanism. So the real driver was more that I'm never going to be happy unless I'm in control of all the controllables. That isn't true. That was nonsense. If I was back in that role now with what I know now, I wouldn't feel like that because mm-hmm. I have a better way of managing those emotions. So it was the right outcome, but driven from completely the wrong place. Mm. It sounds so arrogant to say it now. I can do it differently. I've got a plan. I want to do it like this. I, I think every on, on person who starts their own business will say they have a drive of how they think they want things to be. It was really manifesting for me as a desire to get away from things that I thought I didn't like. Whereas now I understand this, that it was nothing to do with getting away from things that I thought I didn't like. It was actually about the things that I, how I want to work and how I wanted to work. I thought I had to be in, in control in inverted commas to feel like that. That's just not true. I have the benefit of hindsight of, of learning that now.
0: It sounds like you've been lucky, right? Uh, so you were feeling things that were uh, maybe not entirely accurate. And based on this, you made a decision and ultimately it sounds like it turned out to be the right decision, <laughs> maybe for the wrong reasons.
1: I, I look back on it from a position now of hindsight and think that actually that was just emotionally immature in terms yeah. of the understanding of those drivers and the emotions, the reasons why everything is the way that they are. Yeah, it, it drove me to a decision, but the decision wasn't driven from a healthy place or the right reasons at the yeah. time. And if I was the person that I am now, I probably wouldn't have left, to be honest. You can say whether that's a positive thing or a negative thing. I'm, I don't know. That's, the, the, that's hindsight talking.
0: Exactly. I was actually going to ask you that, that question. I'm glad you addressed it. I think a lot of our listeners also feel the stress of making change of challenging the status quo they're in maybe they have a family they have a stable income they have the status and they go on holiday at least they could before covid they could go abroad and they are afraid they start planning for all of the uncontrollables and when you make a chance there are there is a especially in career there's a ton of uncontrollable and now you're a mental fitness expert through your work And and through your own experience, what advice would you give to people who want to make a change, but are afraid of making the steps to change?
1: When we're facing any period of challenge or transition, we feel anxious. We're supposed to, it's our evolutionary response, thinking about the consequences of what might happen. Mm -hmm. That's normal. And that's actually, I think, bad worrying about what might happen. It's a completely normal evolutionary response. It doesn't mean anyone is ill. It just means we're planning for what what might happen. We feel a bit stressed because that's our performance mechanism kicking in, helping us get ready to face the challenge. And it's that difference between positive and negative stress and chronic and acute anxiety. And actually, when we are in a state of positive stress, is that if we have the tools and resources to overcome or to do the things that we think are facing us, and that's positive stress. It's promoted later. And one of the best ways to focus on those positive stress is by looking back on previous situations. So uh, we, we typically, we are tuned to focus on the the negative, to think about the worst that could possibly happen. That's our brains. And actually most of the time things turn up better than we expect. Like that's what the science shows us. So we, we are tuned to be negative, even though generally things turn up better than we expect them to generally in those periods of transition. You cannot predict what's going to happen. It's physically impossible. All you right. can do is look at the things that, where have you experienced this situation or similar situations before? Where have you faced the unknown? Where ha- and actually, how did you react in those situations? Because the chances are that's how you'll react again. There's some great research from Sean Aker, which looks at the three things that predict 75% of our career successes, only 25% predicted by our IQ. Those three things are your ability to use stress as a motivator rather than an inhibitor. In those periods of transition, can you channel that stress into a positive motivator? The ability to maintain an optimistic mindset. So use that anxiety, but harness it positively as actually I'm going to turn this challenge into a positive driver for me. And then the third one is the ability to build a strong support network around you. Who can you call on? Who can you draw on? Who has expertise? What are the positive influences that you can put Mm. around to give yourself that buffer through the transition period? Mm. And if you do that, actually, you know, and this is all scientifically evidenced stuff. That is how you can build your self-efficacy, your self-confidence, your self-belief through that transition. The point I'm building to here is we all think we have to be confident before we do. The science is the exact opposite. You only get confident as a result of going through those transition periods. And the more you do it, the more your self-efficacy builds, the more confident you feel, and the more then you, you push on from there. But so this whole thing of confidence before action is not the way that we work. We have to go through the challenge. We do the challenge and then we feel more confident. So drawing back on previous experiences where you've gone through those challenges probably ended up better than you expected because most of the time they do. And use that as your motivator to, to go through those challenges. And I'd love to go
0: a little deeper into some of those things because you mentioned three key drivers of career success and the two first ones may be a little difficult for people to understand how they can do this. The first one you mentioned was transforming stress from an inhibitor to motivator. How do you do this?
1: I have to say that I'm not a psychologist. We work with psychologists and our platform is the, the place where you get this training. I think part of it is, a, is about awareness of what stress is and where stress comes from and how we are so attuned in our society that we are told so regularly that stress is bad. it can be as simple as starting to think that actually, if you understand what stress is, your mind trying to get you ready to perform effectively, that's what stress is. So if you then think about that, it is energy. It is momentum and energy that your mind is creating to point you in a direction to perform. You can point that stress way you like, and the other thing that is the was one of the key drivers for me again, I'm not a scientist, so i I tend to use quite simple frameworks because I'm a simple person, but my biggest problem was I used to felt feel like all of these things were like blaming the things for happening to me, so I'm stressed because I've got too much work I'm stressed because. These people said something in X Point, which did Y, which made There's just so much of it. I'm stressed because of all of these things that are happening. Yet, if you compare that to the physical space, we tune our feelings of poor fitness onto ourselves. We don't blame the Mars bar for us eating it. We blame ourselves for eating the Mars bar. yet in the physical space, we blame the external driver for impacting our stress. Both of those things are our own responses to external stimuli. So when it comes to stress, it's the, these factors are happening. Your body has become aware of them. Your mind is thinking and getting you ready. Anxiety is kicking in, thinking of all the consequences. Stress is there to help you like attack them. It takes work and there are exercises and practices that you can do to just work on channeling that stress, really simple tasks, like don't do lists. Like we're always so focused on on to-do lists. Here's the list of all the things, million things that I've got to do. And oh my God, the list is getting longer and longer and longer. Really simple flip on that is just focus on the things I'm not going to do. Because if you really focus your mind on the things I'm not going to do, you can then start to clear some of that prioritization and, and workload. And none of these things are complicated. Solution-focused therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, sports psychology, positive psychology, they're all rooted in generally... Basic or simple constructs. But if we practice those constructs regularly, we have positive outcomes. The problem is, we as humans tend to expect quick fixes. It's like saying, "I'm going to go to the gym once and lose three stone." Doesn't work like that. Mental fitness is as hard as physical fitness. You have to work on it all the time. So yeah, I think the answer to your question is there isn't a quick way to do that. It is a way of framing your mindset over a period of time and continual reinforcement and continual reflection to remind yourself because we're also fighting nature we have to remember we're fighting our own evolutionary nature that evolved for a situation that humans are not now in. So that obviously isn't something, a switch you can just flick because you have to tune it.
0: That makes a lot of sense. How are you living this yourself? If you look back, you said you reached the burnout stage, developing, creating your own company, growing your own company. You mentioned financial stress, not necessarily as because you are in financial stress, but just the worry of running out of money because it's the life of many startups. How do you deal with this
1: yourself? I'll add to that. If you take founding a startup, COVID, state, history, C. Melanoma diagnosis, halfway just before the pandemic started. So a year into getting start up off the ground, my cancer diagnosis, I was doing okay before that, but ironically that diagnosis, which has been the most difficult period for me in my entire life. When you Google it and the, the stats are like 25% chance of seeing your daughter to turn 10 like being alive at 10 years time, pre lots of fantastic new treatments that exist. You can't help but take an even deeper, reflective state on how you manage And what's important to you? Because I'd had that a bit before, but then that was a real different mindset shift that only happens in that kind of unique situation. I think for me, it was the really simple practices of a. Actually, what I practice is now as a result of what is the biggest predictor of our long-term mental health status, according to the WHO, according to the World Health Organization. If you are literate in your mental health, if you have literacy, Mm -hmm. you are healthier in the long term, just because you practice healthier habits and you understand how it works. So, you know, how I live it myself, I make sure I take the time to reflect and know the tools that work for me, for my area. So I know that like meditation mindfulness has never been a thing that works for me. It's just not it's not something that I find useful. That's okay. But to manage my anxiety, like gratitude for and I'll give you the real simple articulation of that. The fear of that diagnosis, the fear of not seeing my daughter grow up, the fear of not being there for my wife, not being there for my family is the worst fear I hope, touch words, I hope that is the worst fear I ever experienced because God forbid anything to my wife or my daughter, et cetera, that is the most negative thing. But if we understand the root cause of fear being a driver of anxiety to protect the things that we have, that we care about, and then having that much fear not seeing my daughter grow up, not being around for my wife, not, you know, my family, my friends, etc. And those are all amazing things. Those are things that I have that I'm afraid of losing. Yeah. So again, it's just that mindset shift that you can flip that fear into a positive emotion by understanding that fear is a manifestation of what we have to lose. So the being afraid of losing it isn't going to change whether you're going to lose it or not. So possibly focusing and practicing and being grateful on mm-hmm. the ability to have those things while you have them is huge and that again sounds so so easy to do but it's really hard i'm a stoic northerner the first time people talk to me about gratitude practice was like like whatever and the first time you try and do it it's really hard it's a it's a practice like everything that once you get into it it takes time but it has real benefits mm. if those are the sorts of exercises that work for you as an individual because yep. everyone's different
0: It's really interesting how you say there are different exercises work for different people and therefore you have to maybe try different ones and then pick the ones that work for you. I'd love to come back to what you said about when you had your cancer diagnosis a few years ago, a year into founding Fika. And you said it, it really, it sounds like it, it, it had almost the opposite impact than obviously it was very stressful, but it just emphasized more why you were doing what you were doing, it sounds.
1: Yeah, 100%. You could, you could say that before I had getting the first cancer diagnosis when I was 20, but that being really quite low grade and being really lucky, but not having the emotional toolkit to deal with it at the time. And then my burnout and anxiety, I'd, I'd almost talk about things. I don't want to call them as normal life because life happens to all of us, but those are just things. Those are just things that impacted me. But then that was like a sledgehammer through my entire life. It was like the, the biggest bomb you could ever drop. That was such a moment, something that seismic in your life just causes a series of chain reactions that just keep going and, and going. That just drove me to be really focused on while we're doing what we, we're doing and practicing what we preach because whole, our whole thing is around training for life before it happens. So almost proving a bit of a use case to myself that, well, you've been doing this for a year and a half. What things have you got in your armory to help you deal with this thing that really actually if anything sharpened my ability because i had to with covid with the diagnosis with the business i had to i had to keep going because we have people that work for us i care about those people greatly we've got an amazing team family etc like it it was just a factor of necessity it was no there's no like great kind of philosophical moment or anything it was just like i'm an action orientated person so we could sit i could sit and Still, or I could just keep going, and my approach is is keep going and use what tools I've got around me to keep going as best as I can. But yeah, it, it was yeah, it's, it's impossible to describe how much of a change that was. But at the same time, I've always it, I always feel after these things like there is always someone worse off than me as well. There are plenty of stories that were a lot worse than mine, and I, I don't share these stories for sympathy. They're just I think measures of Life has its ways of getting into all of us positive and negatively throughout our, this journey that we're all on and then we can help people prepare for it better so that they can cope with it when it happens.
0: Yep. And it sounds like, uh, at least with a sample of one being yourself, you, you proved it,
1: I believed in it so much before, but then now that I've seen the impact that it has had on me in that really extreme situation, you can only imagine how much that has doubled down my belief and how important these things are for people because of, of exactly of that, I believe that it was important before, but now it's, that's been dialed up to to 10, you know,
0: we didn't talk about Fika. Can you just describe, you know, where you are, you're about four years into the, the journey
1: or whatever you want to describe it. We didn't take on a small problem to solve. We have been doing this for, for four years now. So there's been a lot of R and D and a lot of research to bring different training. So, so it's a training and skills development solution to market rather than a health solution and that, that has to be validated in education that has to be validated in science that's taken time we've proven that this framework works we've proven that we have a solution to a problem and now we've just raised seeds to start really scaling up you know and, and scaling up across the teams and start bringing that to education healthcare workplace and in the sectors we already work but on the larger scale so we're up to a team of 24 seem to be 25 and yeah we're now just tracking ready for series a which is our next milestone so to to grow the business prove the science improve the you know product journeys are always never-ending you never finish a product you're always looking to make it better and that's the, the journey that we're on but it's it's a very exciting time at Fika towers yeah we just literally just raised seed, so feels like we're four years in but it feels like we're just getting started
0: it sounds like you've taken quite a bit of time to make sure you were on solid foundations and and now it sounds like you're ready to scale
1: we've always believed that the business would be built on a platform of scientific proof and educational evidence because if you're trying to say to people that there are skills that we all need then you need to have a really valid Basis to demonstrate the the value that those skills can have and the framework in which you deliver them. We invested a lot in creating that framework and proving it out in education as an education business, that these are valid educational outcomes before then looking to, to scale as, as was the, the strategy. But it's an interesting one, right? Because the other thing with product is in terms of strategy, we chase proof first, rather than like rapid revenue growth. We've wanted to work out and really understand what's the problem behind the problem, and that does take a bit of time and money to get to get to that.
0: As part of the framework, I think I saw on your app or the website that you have meaning or a purpose as one of the skill that you need to build up. Can you talk a little bit about this because that's something I care about, and you mentioned it for yourself, which is one of the reasons you're doing Fika. And what's the evidence behind having a sense of purpose or meaning? towards one's mental health
1: yeah if you look so our seven skills of mental fitness are a combination of looking at lots of evidence and psychological frameworks and if i talk about them as the the buffers in a bowling lane if you have these foundational skills then you are able to cope and manage through those transitions meaning can be quite an abstract term people when you say me you think what's the meaning of life that's not what we mean by meaning meaning is really about finding the value in everything that you're trying to do, that relates to what your values are, how you want to act, where you want to see yourself, where you want to be. Meaning is linked into positivity because if you're able to maintain your optimism, your positivity, you find more meaning in the things that you're doing you're able to maintain that optimistic mindset. Ultimately, our evidence base is around building self-efficacy. If you're able to find the meaning in the things that you're doing, it then help does help towards those measures of self-efficacy because you're reinforcing to yourself that you're layering on additional builds towards the values, the goals, the things that you want to achieve with your life. It's really sure. just a way of thinking about decisions and actions.
0: What's been most rewarding? I know you said it's it's the start of the journey.
1: There's so many, it's funny, it's really silly little things, but as a team, yeah, our team has grown and our team have started leaving and, and going on mat leave and coming back. So I feel like, having that company where eternity leave, et cetera, so to feel like we have this company where the family, the team is, and we're sustaining a team that is becoming a real and is growing and, and the people are comfortable and, and happy and are the great place to work certification that we got that I've always said, people build great products. So we we really try and practice what we preach in terms of mentally fit culture and building that in our team and how well our team do and, and thrive in what is its startup life, right? And it, it pressure isn't. Ever present in in startup life, that's really rewarding. But then, to be honest, the most most rewarding thing is just when we get back the statements of impact that we get from people, the qualitative stuff that comes back from people that says the difference that Fika has had on their lives. There's one that always sticks with me. Where in education, we had someone who said that their boyfriend had been diagnosed with cancer, and Fika had really helped them both manage through that thing. And for me, obviously, that ticks a lot of personal. Flags for me is just fantastic, but other people who've been through bereavements, et cetera, and these skills have helped them cope through those situations. That As a founder, those are the things that we set up the business for. So I'm not going to pick. There is isn't one most rewarding moment. It's though it, we talk about it as the startup rollercoaster because it's highs and lows and highs and lows, and you, you just got to take the highs and bank them while they're there and, and remain guided by those positive moments. Sure. there. They're amazing when they... Yeah, and
0: just parting comments or advice in particular for people looking for direction or maybe they have an idea of what they want to do but they're not sure or they're afraid.
1: I struggle to see myself as someone that should give anyone else advice. But I guess there is someone said to me the other day, the, the only run you regret is the one you don't do training for the london marathon and i'm running it for cancer research if you're maintaining that optimistic mindset if you have the right mindset you can't really make a wrong choice you've got to back yourself to make most it's like back to that acceptance and commitment unless you've made a decision you made the decision and then you have to make the most out of that decision i definitely don't think it's right to say to someone you should definitely leave and set up something and do it all by yourself because That is definitely the individual's call to make. I think what we do and what I was definitely really guilty of was letting that desire to want to do something impact what I did every single day as a negative driver, Mm -hmm. like being unhappy because I want to work for myself. Carrying that sort of negative harboring through your life isn't healthy. If anyone did anything, don't waste time thinking about what decision you're going to make. Make a decision commit to that decision and then say I'm going to review that decision in a month's time but then don't let yourself be beaten up by that decision for the next month.
0: Gareth it was a real pleasure to have you on on the show thank you so much for sharing what happened inside and outside your your world and, and your life. Hi there thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Derby podcast I hope it inspired you and that you got to learn about what it actually is like when you decide to do what you really want to do. I'm on a mission to help people start on their path to meaningful success. So if you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it to people who may benefit from it. Also, if you know of people who need direction, tell them about Derby. They can find us at www.derby.me. Till next, we meet Derby yourself.